0: Himalayan sea salt, the pink salt, you know. uh, A lot of people use that. When I was in Canada, I think about three years ago now, in Ontario, we could not get sea salt. We could not get C-90. The Canadian government said, no way. You can't put ocean water salt on our land. It's going to kill everything. And uh, so the authorities wouldn't let them do that. Well, the C-90 people went to them, and. Talked to them, explained it, and so forth. And now C90 is available in Canada, so you can get it there, uh, and they they uh, promote it. It's a it's a great product there. Thank you. <coughs> um, you can also get sea C- salt. Well, I didn't finish I, I, when I was in in Canada. You could not get the C90, so I used the the uh, Himalayan salt. It has at that time they were saying it had eighty about 80 different minerals in it. We want all 92. We want to match our our blood, okay? So we want everything uh, in it. So get the ocean water if you can. There's other uh, salts that you can get. In uh, Portugal and France and that part of the world, you can get some uh, salt, um, which is dehydrated seawater with nothing added. Uh, there, and if you look at that, it is a gray, dirty color. Um, There's, that's a dirty part of the ocean over there. So if you can't get anything else, you that would be good, better than nothing, but if you can get this, uh, it's usually far less expensive and uh, and by far better there. Do get a soil test, if, you, if at all possible. Do get a soil test. Dr. Mitleider realized that there were a lot of people, he went all over the world, and there were a lot of people that were not going for a backyard garden. They were not going to uh, spend the money for a soil test. So he did what we call one size fits all, and that's the Mitleider system. And it works, um, but you'd be far better off if you got the soil test there uh, Genesis flood causes an imbalance in nutrients in the soil uh, test the soil and then add the minerals per recommendation and the ocean water minerals the 92 different minerals in a perfect balance uh, and the microbes the bacteria the fungi uh, and then biochar uh, when it is fully inoculated what is biochar that's what you're box will look like and there we are simply spreading the the right minerals, that was in my backyard, (coughs) preparing the soil. (coughs) Um, You spread that out and dig it in by hand or rototill it, it'll be just fine there. Now this was taken in my garden this, this season, this last season, and you can see I've got a row that's probably about three feet wide uh, maybe a little less than that, and then i 'm planting things back and forth uh, sideways there okay a growth for uh, formula for growth anywhere <coughs> ocean minerals <coughs> ocean minerals, phosphate, nitrogen, and iron if you need it okay uh, disease and insect resistant crops that does very well almost anywhere there. I'll tell you a story uh, <clears throat> this happened in Minnesota there was they were growing a crop of soybeans two soybean fields side by side One was the conventional way all the right minerals and chemicals and so forth according to to uh, standard agriculture today. The field right next to it was organic and was being used with uh, these soil testing and the minerals that come out or the recommendations that come out of International Ag Lab. As you walk across the field, the first field, um, those plants were very stressed, being eaten up by grasshoppers and other uh, insects. They were everywhere. Then you cross the line, and you go into the second field, and it's full of grasshoppers. It's full of all these insects, too. But now if you look carefully, they're just sitting there they're not eating those plants there. You see, um, the insects are God's creation to recycle sick and dying plants. Otherwise, the whole world would be a garbage dump. Uh, and the plant puts out a signal that says, I'm under stress, and the insect come and, and eat that. Now, I still have some insect pressure in my garden, but I sure have far less uh, than I used to there. So use the right things and you will get less insect pressure there. In India, about the time of the First World War, um, let's see, this man's name was Sir Albert Howard. or I have that right? Uh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, and he was sent there uh, to to grow food. And they had all of these Indian people there who were growing food uh, (coughs) to support the war effort there. Um, He did experiments there where he took two identical tomato plants. There's a board in the ground and on one side he had poor soil, on the other side he had rich organic soil there. Same variety of tomato and he weaved them together up on a trellis like this. He did this multiple times there. What he found is that the the, uh, plant growing in deficient soil um, was covered with worms and insects and being attacked, and the one that was grown in good organic soil was healthy and just growing wonderfully well there. Same variety weaved together and a huge difference there. Okay. All right, so we need ocean minerals, phosphate, nitrogen, iron, and we're going to have good results. Why we need phosphate and iron? <clears throat> the phosphate sinks to the ocean floor. Most soils in the west are depleted of phosphate. Um, matter of fact, most soils anywhere in the continent uh, are depleted of phosphate. There are a few exceptions. Um, Okay. Sources of phosphate. Bones and shells. So if you happen to be in a place where you can't get soft rock phosphate, you take bones and shells. It could be eggshells this kind of shells. It could be bones. Don't get the bones from Slaughterhouse. They're, they'll be polluted. Uh, uh, you burn those. You put them in a big bonfire and you burn them. Okay, And then they will powder up. You know, powder easy and become available there. Uh, we don't use bone meal, don't use blood meal. Uh, those are um, recent trip to Vancouver, Washington. A lady approached me, and her sister had died of mad cow disease. Uh, we have mad cow disease in this country. They don't want to talk about it, um, they don't want to scare, they don't want to panic their. But there is mad cow disease here. Now, the incidence of mad cow disease in organic farms, where they're using blood meal and bone meal, particularly bone meal, uh, the incidence of mad cow disease is way up compared to the rest of the country there. Uh, see, you could, you, could, you could heat that to 700 degrees, and it won't affect that prey on, at all. And so if you have, um, if you have any fertilizers at home that have bone meal in it, put it in a plastic bag and get rid of it there. Uh, same with blood meal, um, get rid of it. Uh, it, it's not safe. Now, bone meal and blood meal are expensive. Uh, there's far better sources of it. <coughs> they, the soft rock phosphate, which is bones, shells, buried during Noah's flood. There was no disease then, none. Uh, You will not have any uh, disease with that. And it's so much less expensive than the bone meal there. When it comes to the nitrogens, there are lots of different sources of nitrogen, uh, and we do not need blood meal. Don't use those products. In Camino, California, we wanted to grow an acre of tomatoes and uh, we were using this as a uh, fundraising project because we wanted, to, there were five of us that wanted to go to Brazil and work again on this uh, farm that you saw <coughs> at the beginning there. We tested the soil and I got the right things and I needed some compost in that. We got, I got a load, a truckload full of certified organic compost which was good and we had planted two-thirds of this field using that. Uh, I had called some friends of mine who worked on a, <coughs> on a horse farm there, and I said, hey, um, do you have any manure? And they said, oh, we got all kinds of manure. Uh, you can have all that you want. And uh, got a call the next day from the owner of the horse ranch, a lady. And she said, Lynn, uh, there's an organic gardener, and he comes every year, and he gets a big load of this horse manure, and he uses it on his garden. And he hasn't come yet. He'll come shortly, and I'll call you then, and you can have everything that's left over. She said, I'm sure there'll be plenty there, but I want him to have you know, his first. I said, OK. Well, the organic gardener didn't show up, and didn't show up uh, for quite a long time. And uh, finally in the meantime, we've got 2 thirds of this acre planted. Uh, then I got a call and said, oh, this guy showed up. The Organic gardener showed up. So you can come now and get all that you want. So I sent some guys over to get a big load of this stuff. I said, put that manure up at the upper part of this field, uh, because that's where we're planting now, uh, close to the planting holes. Uh, <clears throat> So uh, we started using the manure. Now the only difference here, the soil is the same, the plants are the same from the same variety and the same varieties and the same nursery groom for us. We didn't grow our tomato plants that year. Uh, So everything is the same uh, except that now we're using horse manure instead of the certified compost there. what happened is that every single plant that got the horse manure failed. Now they grew, but you know a tomato plant grows and it has a nice compound leaf coming out. Um, well these grew, but they grew in weird stems, you know. And um, at the end of one row there were three plants, This was, these were um, uh, pineapple tomato plants. It was at the time that was my wife's favorite tomato. It's a big tomato. It's three colors. It's green. It's red and yellow when it's ripe. Uh, beautiful, wonderful tasting uh, plant. There were three plants at the end that got some of the good compost and just some of the horse manure, but not as much as the other plants. Well, those three plants actually produced some tomatoes. And when they got big and ripe, uh, I tried to eat them. You could not eat them. The, te- the flavor was so terrible. It just was awful there. Well, uh, I could see that we weren't going to get any uh, good results from from these plants. So I came in and I tore a bunch of them out. Uh, and we planted green beans and cabbage and cauliflower and. Uh, some flowers, a whole bunch of things there. everything grew, but everything grew with with uh, stress there uh, <clears throat> several years later, a man came by this this particular piece of property is owned by a lady up there that uh, she's dedicated this land to doing god 's work that's her thing so anybody who wants to grow a garden she'll entertain talking to them there anyway, a guy came by and he said, "Well, I want to grow a uh, produce, and I want to grow it for local restaurants." And she said, okay, well, I know they're not going to use that part of the garden up there. They told me they're not going to use that. So he went up and used that part of the garden, not knowing our previous experience with it. This is several years later. Things grew. They still grew under stress. Still had a problem there. So you do, you do not want... We, we couldn't figure out what the, the trouble was. Why had this failed? Horse manure has been a good fertilizer for thousands of years. Bible talks about fertil- manures there. <clears throat> so I went back, <clears throat> back to the farm, said, are you using any Roundup? No. Everything's natural. Using any chemicals on this at all? Um, you know, no, no. What are, what are you feeding the horses? Uh, uh, any medicines? No. No, everything's natural there. We couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. Finally, we had some um, farmers from South Africa. They farmed several thousand acres. And, uh, and it took the wife to figure this out. What was happening is that those horses were fed. Part of their feed came from genetically modified corn. After being digested through the animal, after sitting in a compost pile for a year or more, it still destroyed our tomatoes. You still could not use it. You do not want anything that has genetically modified uh, material in it. So be very, very careful uh, with that. If you have have animals or chickens or whatever, if you're feeding them 100% organic and you know what it is, well, maybe you could use that, but be careful with that. Sources of iron, okay, Uh, usually we have enough iron there, but uh, kelp has iron, and there are a lot of different ways to get iron there. Okay, sources of nitrogen, okay, this is important. Anything that has protein will contain nitrogen, okay? Anything that has protein will have nitrogen. They're very close together. Uh, One time my wife threw out uh, a bunch of rice that had weevils in it. Well, it's my job to take the garbage out, so, uh, so I rescued that rice, <laughs> and, and I put it, uh, at that time we had an acre of ground in Shingle Springs, California, and <clears throat> there was one part where the soil was thin and rocky, and it was the poorest soil in the whole acre there. So I took that rice and I put it in a big circle around there and dug it in there, and then I planted cucumbers. We had the nicest patch of cucumbers there. So if you have any grain like that, or flour, or something that weevils get in, whatever, you can use that. That's a good source of, of um, nitrogen and protein, and a lot of other things too. Uh, when we when we eat bread, we don't eat the straw, do we? We eat the wheat. You see, the the nutrients are concentrated in that seed, and so. Uh, use any seed meal there that's not genetically modified or sprayed with Roundup. Now, lots of things are sprayed with Roundup. Wheat, you know, is not genetically modified. Yep. However, almost all of our wheat is sprayed with Roundup. Now, why do they do that? Well, we, the, the wheat uh, is maturing and it's just about time to harvest it. What used to happen Is that uh, some of the wheat on top of the hill is ripe and ready and if you don't harvest that it'll it'll fall out and once it's on the ground you can't harvest it it's lost to the farmer Uh, but just down from that the wheat is not quite ripe it's a little little uh, greener so he has to come in and, and harvest all of that and then he has to pay a lot of money to dry that wheat so it doesn't go bad there so now they come by and they spray that whole field, and they can know to the day when the combine should come through there and harvest that. Now they haven't lost that wheat uh, it's still there, but they've killed everything prematurely they've killed it there, and it's all ripened together and and they harvest it <coughs> um, so I mean it means it means thousands of dollars more for that farmer. Um, there are uh, lots of people that have um, gluten intolerance today, uh, and uh, many people who have had gluten intolerance, I'll just tell you one story, will illustrate the point here. There's a lady that was just deathly, would get deathly sick if she ate any wheat product there. She went to Italy for a vacation, and every <clears throat> every day she would walk back and forth past this bakery, and one day she thought, oh, that's, that stuff just looks so good in there, I'm just going to try a little bite and see what happens. She did. Nothing happened. She didn't get sick at all there. So she thought, well, maybe this nice weather over here and the sea air and whatever is making me better. So next day she ate more and there was no problem whatsoever. She said, wow, my body's healed itself. I'm doing just wonderfully well over here. And so she enjoyed uh, eating all the wheat products that that she could over there. Came back to the United States and knew that she was cured now and walked into a a restaurant, (coughs) ate some wheat, and immediately got deathly sick. See, she wasn't gluten intolerant. She was intolerant. To the glyphosate she was intolerant uh, to the Roundup there yes I've heard that that same process happens with oats have you heard of that too? happens with oats happens with wheat it happens with most of our grains soybeans. and uh, soybeans um, it, legumes. It, pardon me legumes, legumes. 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 All beans. legumes yes uh, it happens with a lot of things there um, they're even use it, using it on um, some spinach. I'm not sure why they use it on spinach, but it's used on a lot of different things there. So you want to you want to be organic to avoid that. Um, now, have you ever been lied to? <laughs> Never been lied to. Um, I, I was in. Um, uh, Visalia <coughs> California uh, and a gentleman came up to me and he said well i grow a big uh, field of citrus and he said a uh, organic gardener came a uh, uh, buyer came out to my place one day and he said i'd like to buy your citrus i think this was uh, particularly was um, kunkwats a little you know the little thing and he had lots of kunkwats kunkwats that were ripe so he said, "Yeah, but he said they're not organic." And the guy says, "I don't care. I can use them anyway." Uh, so he bought them and uh, took them down to the packing house. Uh, and for some reason, our farmer had to go into the packing house to correct an invoice or pay an invoice. I'm not or get paid. I'm not sure what, why he there, but he was in there and he saw all of his kunkwats being packaged up and marked organic. And he said, those are not organic. And the guy said, no, don't worry about it. It's all right. We'll use them anyway. There. <clears throat> um, so is there dishonesty in the world? Yeah. Uh, but at least th- there are there are honest growers out there, too. So at least go towards the organic. We'd be better off there. Okay, best nitrogen sources, earthworm castings are great. Now, uh, if you look at a fertilizer bag, these numbers are very low, two, two, and two. That's earthworm castings. But they're doing a lot of uh, other things, too. And so you get a disproportionately better result from this very low fertilizer uh, than you would from a higher chemical fertilizer there. Manures, birds are best because because there's no urine. So it's a higher content. Now you can burn your your plants with too much nitrogen there from bird things. Uh, okay, no GMOs, hormones, chemicals. Uh, they will ruin your garden for years. And I told you that story already. Okay, biochar and mycorrhizal. Okay, question is how can we make sure that the earthworm castings don't have GMOs? Or even just GMOs. You know, conventionally grown. Most earthworm castings that you buy come from uh, companies that are taking garbage from the garbage company and growing worms. And uh, I've seen uh, earthworms that were red and yellow and blue and purple because of what they were feeding them uh, there. <coughs> so the best thing is if you can if you can grow your own. Um, Earthworm castings are rather expensive to buy anyway. There's a principle that Ellen White gave us years ago. She said, when well, you're fixing your food, um, do the best you can with it. And then ask God to bless it and sit down and enjoy it and know that God is blessing you there. Don't worry about it. Let's use the same principle in our garden. Let's feed our plants <clears throat> the best we can and ask God to protect us there and that'll work okay biochar I want to talk about biochar Uh, okay if we're going to believe Jesus Matthew 24 and 25 if we're going to believe Daniel um, and um, uh, John in Revelation we're going to come into a time when it's going to be very difficult to buy and sell okay you're not going to be able to get these things there Uh, Let's look at making your garden permanently fertile, okay? Uh, How do we do that? Uh, First, we've we've got to put the right things there. So now, while you can buy soft rock phosphate or other things that you may need, buy that and get it into the garden so that you have the right balance there. Then let's go to biochar. That simply means charcoal that has been inoculated. Now, uh, we are going to inoculate it with all kinds of microbes there. Let's see, all kinds of microbes and fungal activity. Uh, They digest the minerals and the organic matter in the soil. If I take (coughs) if I take um, charcoal and I put it out in my garden. Just take plain charcoal and put it out in the garden. You can powder it or just uh, have small pieces of it. Nothing is going to grow there for two years. Okay, that's because the microbes eat first, and they were taking—they are taking all of these minerals that your um, plants need, all of these nutrients. <coughs> and the microbes are eating and your plants will be yellow deficient if they grow at all there you won't get a crop there however if you totally um, uh, inoculate this first then you're going to get the opposite result Uh, when it's fully inoculated the microbes now are holding those minerals in, in the charcoal. The charcoal is actually a, a great condominium for, for the microbes there. <clears throat> and uh, so they will release those nutrients to your plants as they need them and you'll have very, very good results. Uh, now, how do we know this? I know it from personal experience and I know it from reading uh, different things there. Um, in, in the Amazon jungle, uh, <clears throat> starting clear over in Brazil, in uh, Peru and all the way down through Brazil, uh, there are uh, little patches of ground which are very, very fertile. Now, I've been there uh, and in that jungle with all that trees and vines and whatever there. I mean, things grow just wonderfully well there. Uh, but when we look at a plant, whether it's a tree or a tomato plant or whatever, we look at a plant, fully 96, 94, 94 to 96 percent of what we're looking at didn't come from the ground at all. It came right out of the air. It came from carbon dioxide, it came from other things that the plant can take out of the air, like we foliar feed our plants. Uh, It came from rain uh, and sunshine and uh, so most of that plant just came from the air. Uh, We wouldn't get anything if we didn't have something in the ground but that ground is very very depleted because it gets so much rain uh, that there's very little as far as nutrients in the ground there. (coughs) Uh, Now as you go through this jungle every now and then There are tiny little plots of ground where things grow very well and so if I'm right here and I've got a papaya tree growing or whatever mango, uh, corn, it grows very well. But I move just three feet outside of that area and the same plant will grow but it will struggle to produce any edible food for humans there. Well, so scientists said, well, what's going on here? Let's figure out this. So they, they dug down into the ground. In every single case, what they found was black earth. They call it tierra preta, black earth. Well, this is charcoal. In every single case, they also found broken pottery. Well, that told them that this is an old village dump there. They do the same thing down there today. If you go down there, you, you know, they take all the garbage out to the dump, and they burn it. There, so, so what was happening is that, that they were creating biochar there. Now, these, these deposits of biochar is, are as much as 9 and even 12 feet deep there, but at least 3 feet deep there. So what was happening is that the, the, that uh, uh, absorbs the minerals, hangs on to them, and then releases it to the plant. Now because of the broken pottery, they could, they could date those old dumps. In every case, they are at least 1,200 years old to as much as 2,500 years old. Uh, so these are ancient deposits. These people, uh, these little plots of land are owned by native Indians there. They're too poor to buy any fertilizer. Uh, of course, they prize that land. They take care of it because it does so so well. So let's do the same thing in your garden. Uh, uh, my daughter and uh, her husband decided that they were going to do what they call Korean, uh, Korean natural farming there. And they have some very good things here. So uh, we got biochar. We got charcoal. Um, we have a little chipper, so we ran it through that, and it... It, um, some of it powdered, some of it just chipped up into smaller pieces, there, and that's okay. And small pieces are good too. Uh, it's kind of a nasty job. I thought I'd change races by the end of the day. <laughs> uh, well, now we put that into the compost pile, and then we we got um, microbes from the from the forest. Uh, <clears throat> because we wanted some of that. So I went underneath some big trees, scraped off um, some of the leaves and pine needles that had fallen last fall and then what's left there was partially decomposed uh, leaves and pine needles and some of the soil with it there. So I got some of that, put it in, then we went to an area where there were grass plants growing. That's a different type of microbe there. So we wanted that also. So we went and got underneath um, uh, bamboo plants and some grass that was growing there, and again we did the same thing. We took a little layer of the soil and whatever was there and mixed that in. Uh, <coughs> now then we uh, we used milk, we used milk um, and uh, rice, we used some rice to get the um, we wanted the, um, <clears throat> when you wash rice, what do you get off of it? Starch. Starch, thank you. Okay, so we wanted the rice starch there. So we got that uh, and put all this uh, together with the milk and uh, in a short time they had cheese growing on this here. And so we put all that into the compost pile, it really was a cheese there, the chickens loved it. So. <laughs> um, so we put all this in the compost pile, and I noticed, now they were doing it, I was just kind of observing, I lived next door, and, <clears throat> and in a little while, this great big yellow thing started to grow in the compost pile. It was a huge um, <clears throat> mushroom type plant. Well, the compost uh, finished, and we took that, ground it all up, and they spread it all over five acres on rose bushes and plants and whatever there. Uh, And I didn't think anything more about it until the next year, and they planted right where this compost pile had been. Now they didn't take part of that compost and put it in that soil, it's just that this, um, that's where the compost pile had been, this special thing that they were doing. They They planted pepper plants there. There were three three rows of pepper plants right above where that compost was. And then a little bit further over towards the chicken coop, there were another two rows of peppers. I mean, these are just, you know, one after another. You go to these first two rows, and I would have said we had a good crop of peppers if I didn't have anything else to uh, uh, compare it to. We had some peppers that are as big as my fist there. Some of the plants were up about this high. Uh, And I would said hey, we had a good row of a good crop of peppers But now you move over to these three rows that are above where that compost pile was We had stems on those peppers that were like this some of the tops of those pepper plants were as high as me We had the most beautiful lush Gorgeous peppers that I have ever seen in my life. Just an absolute abundant crop there. thought, wow, that's interesting Uh, well Season's over, S- the snow comes, and so we tear everything down, throw it in the compost pile. And the next year they planted corn in the same place there. Again, a similar thing happened. Over here, those two rows, we had corn that looked okay, but we move over to these three rows, where that compost pile, in, in a measurable difference in the color and the health of those plants there. Unfortunately, somebody left the gate to the, to the um, chicken coop open and the chicken got more of that corn than we did, but, but very interesting um, in, in the way that that worked. Now this year, this season, well the next season they didn't plant anything there, it just was, went wild there. This season, this past season, uh, my granddaughter planted some squash there uh, and a similar thing happened there. We had, she planted um, spaghetti squash there so she had huge spaghetti squash in the same area there. So anyway, we can make your soil, you can make your soil uh, permanently fertile uh, by using this. Now that's, that's a, uh, under the microscope, that's, that's uh, charcoal. And all those little holes make perfect condominiums for our microbes. So, we want permanently fertile soil. Tierra Prieta uh, tells us this in the Amazon jungle that we can do that. Uh, they tell us that charcoal would be stable for thousands of years. Now, if let's take a tree and grind it up and make compost out of it, <clears throat> when we do that, um, in two, three years' time, that compost is all gone. It's gone back into the air, it's gone to carbon dioxide. And, uh, other things and it's gone, but when we take that same tree and we make charcoal out of it, uh, we've changed the structure of that and they tell us that 5,000 years it should still be charcoal there. Okay, mycorrhizo, we want that. Uh, the, the, your, your plant roots exude a jelly-like substance uh, that feeds the fungi. Okay, now we're talking about fungi here, we're talking about mushroom-type plants. And the fungi gather the water and the nutrients from an area and feed the plant. Uh, The mycorrhizae promote the best growth seen anywhere. (coughs) Um, If I have a plant here, and this this is the root ball of that plant, Got a little plant here, here's the root ball of that plant. Now, if we are using this system here, where those plants are exuding that jelly-like substance, that jelly-like substance is going to dissolve um, rock powders and organic matter in the soil so that the plant can take it up. But if we have um, the mycorrhizal there, the fungi, (coughs) it's going to feed the fungi, and the fungi will gather nutrients and water from a much larger area and feed it to those plants so it's it's a very uh, beneficial system. Is it affected by a lot of ra- ra- rain rainfall? rainfall? Yes. Is it um, no, it's not going to deplete it. It could, uh, could drown it in some cases but it's not going to deplete it, yes. Okay, <clears throat> here's what it looks like. Uh, <clears throat> you you <clears throat> you go through the forest and rake off the duff, you know, the dry stuff that fell last fall Uh, and underneath you'll, every now and then, you'll find something that looks like cobwebs growing in there. You want that. That's what we went out and gathered and put in that compost pile. Okay? Okay. Okay, nitrogen constantly goes back into the air so we always have to feed that. Now this this is a plant that is gathering nitrogen from from the air, from the air in the soil. Um, and it makes these little nodules of nitrogen not only feeds that plant, but when we when we till that plant in, uh, it's going to feed the next crop after that. So this is a very good way of doing it naturally there. Okay, different microbes work with different uh, types of plants. Some plants, such as beets, carrots, cabbage, do not interact with microbes to store nitrogen. Anything that's a legume uh, will store nitrogen in these nodules. Basically, a probiotic for the soil there. Okay, double digging. Any of you double dig? A few of you do. A few of you do. Okay. Uh, We were talking about. um, Jim Kennard and his uh, way of doing things, he disagreed with the idea of double double digging there. Uh, try this. Um, Ellen White tells us that we should dig deeply and dig often. Uh, she also tells us that we should be very careful not to disturb even the tiny little rootlets of plants. So digging deeply has to be between crops uh, there. So to... To double dig, you want to loosen the soil about that deep, as deep as you can get it there. However, don't take that subsoil and put it on the surface. If you put that subsoil on the surface, you make your work work much more difficult. So, uh, let's see, do we have a picture of this? Yeah, here we do. So, do this. Um, Take a one-foot area there, and dig that out, put it into a wheelbarrow or box or anything there, and then loosen this soil down here, but leave it there. Don't take that soil out, leave it there, okay? Now, we've got a hole here, so we're going to take this bit of soil here, and instead of putting it in the wheelbarrow, we're going to put it here, okay? Now, we're going to loosen this. Now, we're going to put this over here and loosen this until we get all the way down to the end, when we get down to the end, we're going to have an area here that doesn't have any soil. So we're going to take our wheelbarrow and we're going to put it down here and dump the soil in there. That's the way uh, of of hand digging with the least amount of physical labor, if you're hand digging this, okay? Please keep this subsoil down here. Do not bring it to the surface there. Uh, if you have a tractor or other equipment, Uh, There are all kinds of of, uh, subsoiler equipment that we have. So all kinds of of, um, uh, equipment and uh, in uh, Placerville, California, we're trying desperately to get a garden program starting at our El Dorado school there. And uh, uh, one of the members of the church there said Um, I was talking to him last week and he said, oh, he said, well, I'd like to get a D8 up there and rip that with rippers and go five feet deep in the ground. Great big rippers there. Well, a place where our garden is all subsoil. There was a big hill there, and it's been cut down 30, 40 feet there to make us flat land. That's where our garden goes on one part of part of it's a bottle field and part of it's uh, where we're trying to put in the garden Well, obviously it's full of rocks and subsoil and whatever there So he's going to come in with these rippers and rip that five feet deep, which we want Uh, Another thing that he's going to do is bring some soil in some topsoil on top so we can build up there Uh, Another thing that we could do there are uh, There are there's equipment that would sift that soil, and we take the rocks out, and then the soil underneath is fine. Uh, well, it's, it's usable if we uh, amend it right there. <clears throat> okay, soil needs to breathe too. This is the easiest way to double dig by hand, the least amount of physical effort. You can accomplish the same thing with a tractor, subsoiler, a ripper on a large scale. Important point is to get air to the subsoil while leaving the topsoil on the top. All right, this is, um, this is just forming the rows. Let's go through a couple of things here. Uh, if you we want to create our rows so that the center of this row, that there's at least five feet from the center of this row to the center of the next row, okay? Uh, that comes from Dr. Mitleider. We use a lot of things from Dr. Mitleider. If you have the room, it would be better if you made it six feet over here, okay? Uh, that gives you three and a half feet here of walkway and 18 inches here and in between these two it's about one foot here and then from here to here it's going to be a total of 18 inches there so okay with stakes and string mark the rows you want to create five feet apart on center and 30 feet long That's you can make it any division of that that you want but this is a good example here so we've got 30 feet long we've got foot and a half here to here, got three and a half feet here, so that means five feet from the center of here to the center of the next one here. Uh, and in, in my garden, the one that you saw earlier, the garden in a box, these were uh, six feet apart because I have the room. And uh, where we planted the vining plants, they were a good ten feet apart. So if you have, you, you need that room there. Okay. <clears throat> These are these a are good six feet apart here. When we get over here, those are 10 feet apart. There. OK, forming the rows. OK, now I double dig. I just double dig the rows. Because if I double dig, if I did that in the, in the walkway, that was way too much work for me to do by hand there. We do have a tractor with a... Rotor tiller on it. We don't have a ripper that goes deep on that. Okay There you can see that's all just dug up there. Now <clears throat> uh, if Dr. Mitleider saw this he'd turn over and he's grave um, But I put one string down the middle and I just work off of that and it's not as straight and as neat as Dr. Mitleider would like. He was a good German man and very um very precise in his work there. Okay, rake the soil from the walkways. Okay, now the whole thing has been um, tilled, and so and this has been double dug first. Then we rake the soil from the walkways and we put it into here. So now what we are doing, we're raising the uh, the, the we have deeper and deeper soil for your plant roots there. Uh, a good a good um, trial. <coughs> Is for you to double dig a row and then have one right alongside of it where you just do a single digging on it plant the same seeds frame fertilizer same day everything the same and you will quickly convince yourself that when Ellen White said we should dig deeply and dig often that there's some divine wisdom in that okay now we have um, see we have a little berm here a little berm here and that's to keep the water and the fertilizer in here as the plants grow. So, and if you happen to, uh, if your garden happens to be in an area where you get heavy rains and you might get flooded out, this is raised and you don't lose your crops. Okay, dikes hold the water and the fertilizer in the planting bed and helps to eliminate weeds, <coughs> really helps to eliminate weeds there. Uh, if you, uh, if you're in an area where it doesn't rain in the summertime, then your weeds are not going to grow in the walkway. Uh, so that would be important there. Okay, mint is one of the simplest gardening methods uh, with consistent results. But there, there are two different philosophies here. One is that we feed the plant and the other is that we feed the soil. And what we're doing here is feeding the plant with the mint lighter method. That's what you're doing with hydroponics also. You're feeding the plant, you're not feeding the soil. We get the best results if we feed the soil, which means we're feeding the microbes and the life in that soil, and they feed the plants. That's where you're going to get the best, there. Okay, so we use a lot of things for mint lighter, forming the rows, the watering system, the dikes, uh, and also eliminates most of the weeds there. Okay, beautifully perfectly uh, formed produce, abundant growth, bricks, or nutrition is not as high unless ocean water and soft rock phosphate is added. Uh, Best results, combine this method with uh, international ag lab soil test and balancing, and then Ellen White's uh, deep digging and diluted ocean water if we wanted to do that. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio